Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. To be a parent is to be busy. We often start by wanting to get everything just right, but we end up just trying to hold everything together. And then Lent comes around, and we either dream up fantastic spiritual regimens for ourselves, or we think, gosh, I just can't do another thing. This is normal. What's more, Lent is for normal people, not superheroes, not gluttons for spiritual punishment. But especially for us parents, we might need just a little help, a little guidance for learning how to pray through Lent. Well, I've got some good news. Maria Moro wrote a book for us. It is called A Busy Parent's Guide to a Meaningful Lent. It's available now from Our Sunday Visitor. In this book, she shows us how to develop the habit of prayerfulness as busy parents who are bound by all kinds of constraints. It's a practical book because the best spiritual things are always the most practical things. They have to do with how we actually live our lives. Dr. Morrow is a scholar of American Catholicism and Catholic parenting, among other interests, and she serves as adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. I'm grateful that she has made time to talk to me about her book, Parenting and Lent. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life in collaboration with Spoke Street Media Network. Maria Mora, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Maria, I have to say, I just love the first paragraph of your book. I think you just grabbed me right there. I just find it to be so funny and so on point. So I thought a great place for us to start, if you don't mind, is if I can just ask you to read the first paragraph and tell us a little bit about what's going on. Absolutely. My first child was due on Easter Monday. I will never forget my reaction when my husband asked me what I was thinking about doing for Lent that year. I responded sarcastically. Gosh, I was thinking about weighing an extra 30 pounds, not being able to sleep at night, tripling my trips to the bathroom, living with constant heartburn, limiting my wardrobe to just a few outfits, getting out of breath, walking up the steps, having swollen feet, and possibly, maybe, fitting in labor and a delivery. My newbie husband, God bless him, said, ha, no, but really, what are you giving up? (laughs) Bless his heart, right? So, yeah, no, he really had the best of intentions. <laughs> he really did. He really did. I So yeah. one of the reasons I love this opening so much and having read most of the rest of the book at this point is that you kind of capture this right in this particular episode. Look, as a parent and especially as an expecting mother, there's a lot already going on. And in this case, there was a whole lot going on. And so the right. idea of kind of like taking on Lenten disciplines and sacrifices, especially to an overtaxed parent or expecting parent, just seems like so much. But this book that you've written is about Lent for busy parents. So how did you come about the desire to kind of lead people through this kind of Lenten practice? Right. Well, I think in part, I was motivated by some of the research that I did in my academic work from the 50s and 60s, and just looking at how Catholics of that time were more, I guess, adept at practicing penance and incorporating it into their daily life. So that was part of it. But then combined with that was my personal experience of in the past feeling like, oh, I could do so much for Lent. 
And then all of a sudden, as a parent feeling like, oh, I can't have a good Lent because now I have children and they interfere with whatever I want to try to do. Hmm. And then I kind of had a change of mind on that about kind of coming to the realization that God wants me to experience Lent like with and through these children. And so there's a way still to have penitential practices related to Lent or especially for the season of Lent instead of just sort of throwing up my hands and giving up because it can't be what it was before children. Indeed. You know, I think we all know there are a lot of books and different resources out there for Lent. Lent is kind of one of the prime times, especially for Catholic publishing, I think. But at least in my own kind of gazing about at what's out there, it seems like a lot of these books and resources are about finding new and better ways to do Lent, right? So the idea is you're supposed to have your best Lent ever Or as you put it, I think at one point in the book, you know, you have to have your five-star Lenten resolutions. Right, right. I was caught by what you're doing in your book that you're really pointing to the traditional Lenten triad, fasting, almsgiving, prayer. Why not reinvent Lent? That's a really great question that I think deserves some attention in today's world. And especially in the United States, because a lot of people don't know sort of the history of it. But, you know, there was compulsory Lenten fasting all the way up until, well, 1967 would have been the first Lent where Catholics did not have to fast. And a lot of these penitential practices throughout the history of the church have been corporal in the sense that the whole community was doing it together. And it was something that you had a lot of social support to do it. Now, the voluntary Lenten penance that we currently practice also has its own benefit because you can really target what's best for you. Like, you know, there was also abstinence from meat practiced on all Fridays throughout the year. And then during Lent, you could only have it at your primary meal. And that was particular to the United States as well. Anyway, so for a vegetarian, giving up meat is not going to be a sacrifice. So the nice thing about having it personalized is you you can kind of choose your own. But then I also, in my experience, you know, growing up Catholic, I found there were a lot of people that sort of over-discerned their Lenten resolution (laughs) because they felt like, oh, well, I did this last year. I don't want to do the same thing. And what do I really need to work on? And it really becomes kind of self-focused in a way that's not the best for us, especially because the church has provided us with these resources that when we stick to that triad of fasting, almsgiving, and prayer, we really place ourselves in communion with the church through the ages and with Catholics around the world today. So whereas some of our voluntary penances, they can be similar in that way, but there's something really good about not trying to make everything up as you go and instead relying on what the church knows to have worked. Yeah, this is really interesting because it seems like to me those kind of reinvention of Lent kicks are about trying to be different from the normal stream of things. Like you have to find your best way to do Lent. But What you're drawing our attention to here is actually something that is far more countercultural, and I mean counter to the prevalent culture, perhaps especially in the United States, which is that rather than being an individualistic practice tailored specifically and only for me, you're saying that this Lenten triad is really about a corporate practice, like a people is being fashioned together and journeying together. How do you think that might be? Well, on the one hand, it is countercultural, but how might it be healing for us as especially Catholics in the modern age? Well, I always think one of the risks of sort of choosing your own Lenten penance is that you can become very prideful about it. Hmm. So when you're successful about it, you it reflects well on yourself. Whereas I feel like when we are able to do these Lenten practices sort of in unity with the church, 
there's a sort of humility of knowing that you're just one among many doing it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the idea that you're in your practice of it, helping other people. Because of course, one of the issues with choosing your own that I witnessed again growing up Catholic is that there's always this hesitancy, like, should I share what I gave up? Because you don't want to be seen as boasting. But then when you hide it and keep it to yourself, it becomes again, a source of sort of pride, like, oh, I'm skipping lunch and they don't even know I'm doing it or right. something like that. So there's a sort of a risk entailed with it. Whereas when we dive into the traditional Lenten practices, we're sort of protected by this long history and then being in unity with other people that are doing likewise. Really interesting. You know, I was just recently reading Pope Francis's most recent encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, and he talks about, especially for young people, the way in which young people are formed to kind of forget history and their own people's history. And so they're constantly reinventing themselves. But that actually makes them subject to all kinds of influences to be taken advantage of in all kinds of ways. But we, I love the way you put that, that these traditional practices actually protect us in some ways and might protect us both from ourselves, but also from fads or from, like you were saying, from pride. Right. There's a cover that's taken from actually just submitting to be a, being a member of Christ's body here. You're not special. You're a member of Christ's body and you're being formed right. for that. Yes. Yes. That's a great way to put it. And then in some ways, when you do that, it's even more meaningful for as an individual, knowing that you're part of this group instead of really amazing on your own, you know? <laughs> really amazing on your own. That's right. <laughs> This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Maria Moro, independent scholar and adjunct professor of Catholic studies at Seton Hall University. She's the author of the recently released book from Our Sunday Visitor, A Busy Parent's Guide to a Meaningful Lent. Now, Maria, your book is scriptural. It's reflective. It's also manageable. Mm -hmm. And all throughout it, you seek to help us, your readers, develop habits of prayerfulness for this Lenten journey. I'm really interested in this part about developing habits, having this kind of, again, manageable routine, but something that gets woven into your daily life. It's hard for parents, especially, to take on anything else. And yet having this solid habit of prayer is so essential for parents in their own spiritual lives, but also for their parenting. How do you think about that, the importance of this habit of prayerfulness? Yeah, that's another great question and something that I feel like I've really struggled with during my time as a parent, because I have felt as though my time has been restricted in some ways and that I can no longer go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for hours. You know, I can't volunteer to do the same kind of service work that I used to do. Mm -hmm. So to that end, there are some of these practices, though, that are actually not that hard to fit into a life as a parent, as a busy parent. So, for example, one of the ones I bring up is doing a morning offering. And it only takes a minute, maybe not even a minute, just to offer your day to God and say that all of your work is going to be dedicated to God. And I find that really helps to set my frame of mind when I remember to do it, because once you develop that habit, you know, you kind of just do it every day. And in my personal life, I have some little kids that like to climb into the bed with me. We get up <laughs> at 530. And one of the first things I say when they climb into bed is, oh, look at this. It's another day. Let's thank God for another day. And then I usually also say, and thank you, God, for these beautiful children. Huh. And then I say the line, serviam, or I will serve you, Lord, today and always, is what I usually say. It's a brief little morning offering, but I think it's good for my kids to hear that I'm starting my day that way. And then part of being a busy mom and knowing that I'm not going to have a lot of alone time to sort of do reflective prayer 
I kind of feel like my day is covered, you know. I'm like, well, I, I did that part at least. So God knows I, I started off with the intention of doing his will today. So there we go. I love it. Some of the other things in the this particular book, you know, I, I tried to set up each day has an aspirational prayer, which is just one line, and it's usually drawn from the scripture for the day. And, uh, you know, something that you can keep in mind throughout the day and kind of come back to throughout your day when you're feeling stressed or when you feel like you're losing the practice of the presence of God, you can say this line and remember it. I know we're talking about Lent here, but like during the season of Advent, I like to say, for you, sweet child, for you. So during the day when I'm folding laundry or something like that, to just say that one line so that I remember that I'm doing it for Jesus. Mm. So that kind of a prayer, again, these aspirational prayers, are you just try to keep them in your head throughout the day and return to it when you're in the middle of doing something or you have a spare moment. So it doesn't take a huge block of time where you have to be away from people, but it's something you do in the midst of your family life. Yeah, I think all parents, especially mothers, I know this, you know, especially from my wife, that feels much of the time, all of the time, let's just say that, like there's a competition for your time. And oh, yeah. Like you were saying, you can't go and spend an hour a few times a week in front of the Blessed Sacrament, there's the competition for your time. Other people have this claim on your time. And so it might feel oftentimes like taking this time for prayer is actually withholding that time from your children or in some ways like that. And I'm reminded of, I don't know if you knew Beth Hale, Mm -hmm, yeah, Beth now deceased, but in one of her blog posts when she was really considering a change in her own really her own situation and stepping away from her work to give more time to her children. She talked about neglecting her spiritual duties. And this was really kind of a revolution of perspective for me in reading what she was saying, that in neglecting her spiritual duties, her prayer life, she was in fact depriving her children of their due, that they had Mm -hmm. a claim on her to receive the fruits of her spiritual life. She and her husband as their primary educators in faith, as the first ones to pass on the faith, and that actually developing their own life of faith and prayer was one of the, if not the most important thing to do for their children. So this is a change in perspective, I think. You know, there is a competition for time, but actually carving out that time for prayer is maybe the most important service that a parent can render to their children and at the same time to their spouse, I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, I I feel very blessed that I have a husband that wants to work with me on this. You know, he's someone similarly committed to the faith. So we make sacrifices so that each of us can go to daily mass every day. And, you know, we generally both of us fit in a rosary every day. When I was writing the book, though, to be honest, I did also have in mind that not everybody has a spouse that's willing to do that. Mm. And especially during this pandemic, it's been really hard, I think, for a lot of people I mean, I we had to go without receiving the Eucharist, you know. That was very hard for a lot of people. So it's a tricky question. You obviously, you don't want to make excuses like, well, I, I can't pray because I have all these children. But at the same time, if you really feel that you don't have the time alone, you shouldn't feel that you also won't be able to pray. And that's why I think the sort of offering up of suffering is a really important prayer for mm-hmm. a busy parent just when you encounter difficulties or inconveniences to be being able to offer those up to God instead of being sort of bitter and resentful about it. Mm. But I also think going back to the prayer thing, I mean, and giving up going to daily mass, which like I said, it was really hard and it was right in the middle of Lent, but giving that up in sort of a joyful spirit 
was also a gift to God. I felt like being able to, you know, turn to spiritual communion and not put on a pouty face of I've been abandoned (laughs) kind of a... So I think, yeah, both what Beth is saying, but then also I think those of us who are able to do these practices because our spouses make a way for it to happen, or we have grandparents that come in and watch our kids Mm -hmm. or babysitters, I think that's a really good thing that we need to aim for. But I also don't like when we try to impose those sort of standards on other people that aren't in comfortable situations. And then also just to add one more thing, as my pastor always says to me, you have to look big picture. And yes, you're really busy right now. And you don't have the time to pray like you used to before you had kids. But you don't want to kind of imagine that that's some kind of permanent state of life for you because we go through different stages of life. So what you want to have is enough of still a relationship with God and dedication to practicing your faith that there's something that when you do have more time, you you choose to use that time to go back to all those things, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, that's really beautifully put. I like that very much. You know, speaking of developing habits, you are also quite forthcoming throughout the book about the reality and really the inevitability of failure in the life of faith, in the life of prayer. I want to share a line from your reflection from the Friday after Ash Wednesday. You write, like a loving parent who understands the weakness of his children, God is pleased with the effort of those who persist in trying to do his will. Tell us about the importance of effort and persistence in the life of prayer. Right. So that's something that I think has really come to me lately in my life as a parent now that I have a teenager. And it was I was just completely unprepared for some of the struggles that we had with our oldest mm. and uh, feeling like a failure all the time. And I think, you know, a lot of life and my life before having children was you work, work hard and put in this effort and you get this result that you're intending. And then all of a sudden I felt like as a parent, I'm putting in all this effort and I'm not getting what I intended because my child, lo and behold, has free will and is choosing <laughs> to do what she wants, you know? Uh-huh. And, and so, and even when you think like, well, I'm going to do all these things right, which, you know, with your oldest, you try to do everything right. And then it's, it's just not an algorithm. You can do everything right. And the children don't all come out the same. Um, and I started to really see that in the last few years, like I was saying, with some really profound struggles we were having with our oldest. But <clears throat> at the same time of um, sort of dealing with this, I started coming to this realization that this is, I think, what God wanted me to have. Because, like I said, I was the kind of person that put an effort and got these results. And I think there was a really good lesson and just letting me fail in this way and kind of bringing it right before my eyes that actually, you know, it's the whole Pelagian controversy. You can't do it all yourself. This isn't just about you doing whatever you want. This is about God's grace working through your life. And a lot of times God really speaks to us in our failures even more profoundly, you know? So even like the spiritual writer Jacques Philippe, you know, has Mm -hmm. this line about, Sometimes God allows us to sin or allows us to fail to prevent us from having pride and so that we can feel our dependence upon him. Hmm. And so I think especially in the lives of parents, and not unrelated to your last question about spirituality, but it can be good for us to miss a prayer time because we miss our prayer time and that can really help us to grow in humility and realize, oh, I'm not the spiritual warrior that everyone thinks I am, right. or that I claim to be. Right. So I, I feel like failure 
and especially during the season of Lent, it's just such a great time to sort of embrace that failure and to recognize that you can't do Lent on your own. Just like the parenting, you're, even if you try your hardest, you're going to fail sometimes. And that's okay, because God can work through that. And he wants to work through us wherever we are. He wants to work in that situation. This last bit, Maria, that you were talking about in terms of failure, but also kind of letting go of control, I think parents know very much, as you were just testifying to, what it means to not be in control. There's all different ways in which you're not in control during parenting. In one way, when your children are infants, and another way when they start moving around and they can take themselves from one place to another and really exert their will, and a whole other way when they're teenagers and then into early adulthood and afterwards. This seems like a natural correspondence between parenting and Lent. Lent is very much about releasing our control, letting go of control, allowing ourselves to be formed really to Christ's passion, to be formed through disciplines, to be formed, as we were talking about all the way in the beginning, as a people and not just strictly according to my own idea of what happiness is. This sort of correspondence about control and releasing control in parenting and in Lent Was this a a sort of natural way in for you in thinking about how to guide people through Lent as parents? You know, that's that's an interesting thought. And I, I do think it I do think that's related because as I sort of said before, you know, I feel like a lot of my friends that are busy parents find the struggle of still wanting to have the sort of control over their, you know, Lenten resolutions mm-hmm. that they had when they were younger and then not being able to have that. So, yes, I do think that's an important, important idea behind the book. I mean, I, I was taking that especially, I think it was from, I think it's from your first week. It might be the second week in Lent. I'm, I'm mixing this up now, but kind of being dislodged from your own perspective and being opened up into a really, really a Godward perspective. And I think it relates to what you were saying from your pastor, too, of taking the long view, because we're all kind of addicted to our own way of seeing things. And this is being really weaned from that or maybe even shaken from that to start to see more of God's perspective on these things. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. So the one week is called Having a God's Eye View or as some people will call it, sort of a supernatural perspective on Mm -hmm. things that are happening. And it can be anything from, you know, running late for something and being stuck at a traffic light and finding a way to look at that through God's view that maybe he wants that for some reason Mm -hmm. to help you grow in patience, things like that. Yeah. Indeed. You know, one thing I love, really love about the book is the beautiful and really profound exercise of what I think we should rightly call lay preaching. I mean, this is a totally Mm. appropriate venue for doing so. And sometimes when people hear the term lay preaching, they think about, you know, this is an incursion on the mass and it's taking the place of the homily. No, there's all kinds of opportunities and rightful places for lay preaching. And you've really seized on one of them here, I think. It's not competing with or replacing homilies at mass, but it's an exercise and really a gift of hearing a lay person, a mother, bring the gospel and its accompanying readings into direct contact with the experience of daily life. Have you had important sources of this form of preaching in your own life, or is this something you're kind of carving out on your own here? Oh, no, absolutely I have. I feel very indebted to some of the mothers that I know in my, you know, in my area here in New Jersey that have just been exemplary models for me of seeing how to live the faith, and especially with having problems with their children. You know, I think there is sort of an inherent clericalism where we think that somehow we can't get good advice from someone who's a lay person or mm-hmm. something like that, 
or the reverse of it. Oh, her advice is so profound. She should be ordained. Right. right. Which right. is also like a form of clericalism. That is the you flip know? side of clericalism. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel very blessed to have lay people around me that really have been great models for me. I'm happy that you see it that way as a, as a resource. And I do think, you know, priests, there are many really excellent priests and the ones that know their congregation really well have a sense of what parents go through. But there are also some that can sometimes be removed. So mm-hmm. I think a book like this can be helpful for them to see. I'm not trying to just talk about priests, but like before I had children, to be honest, I was very judgmental of a lot of parents that I saw you know, like, oh, they didn't, whatever, they didn't keep their child's face clean or <laughs> their child is misbehaving or their child, whatever. And now I'm like, God bless them. They went ahead and had children because <laughs> it's hard. It's just hard, you know? Yeah. And some of the things I feel like for me, one of the hardest things was probably taking my young children to mass. Oh, yeah. Early on, you know, because now I'm kind of numb to being humiliated by their <laughs> how they behave during mass. But in the beginning, I went, I felt like I went from being this really prayerful, reverent person to being someone like running the circus, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, in the right. middle of the church. Right. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're coming towards the end here, but I did want to ask you also, since throughout this book, you yourself are reflecting on daily readings from mm-hmm. the lectionary, and you even did the hard work of doing three sets of reflections for the three cycles of liturgical yeah. years on Sundays. And then you did like in the appendix, you also touched on the solemnities that take place during Lent. So you covered it all. But right. I mean, this was a lot of time for you sitting with the readings, reflecting on scripture. What did that mean right. for you? So I found it to be really moving, honestly, and especially because due to this project and having the contract for it, I did have a lot of babysitting hours where I actually had time alone Mm -hmm. to write and reflect on these scriptures. And even though I wasn't doing it during Lent, unfortunately, I was like doing it in the fall during ordinary time and Advent or whatever. Right. But I just, I was really struck when I was spending time with these scriptures, what a gift they are in terms of the church's organization and sort of leading us along in this journey of Lent. I think that's just really something that we take for granted too easily. And even as someone who goes to daily Mass, I don't always remember the Mass readings that well. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to also reflect on them a little further. And I think I'll have that in mind now as I head into Lent, you know, keeping the Scripture at the front of my Lent, which really prepares us to live it as we're meant to. Absolutely. Friends, the book is A Busy Parent's Guide to a Meaningful Lent. It's published by Our Sunday Visitor. My guest today has been Maria Moro. Maria, thank you so much for sharing this time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.